All right, so um, we've been in a series we started last week called Hashtag Asking for a Friend. And what we're trying to do, if you weren't here or don't know what's going on, is trying to take some of these important questions that um, people in the faith kind of have different answers, struggle with, and try to bring some clarity to them. I don't have all the answers. I don't know all the answers, but I'm going to hopefully lead you down the path uh, so that you can begin to wrestle with these things yourself. I want to preface today, um, because this is probably one of the deeper ones that we'll get into throughout this series, and it's the area of homosexuality. Homosexuality. And so I want to try to hopefully navigate with you as we walk down this path. I'm not going to probably share anything I don't think anything earth-shattering, but I'm going to hopefully lead you to what God's truth says, um, give you some perspective, and hopefully how do we like take this and then move on? from? How do we navigate our lives with these kind of people, and, and how do we continue to show them Jesus and all those great things? So just know as we navigate, um, it's a messy subject, it's an uncomfortable subject, and it's um, difficult at the same time, but I think it's so, so good to talk about because of in our world, it just continues to rise. It continues to come to the surface. And so how do we navigate it in this world? And so as we begin to get into this, I was thinking a little bit, um, when my sister got married a handful of years ago, we, we had her wedding and the following day, my dad decided we we're going to go on vacation. We're going to go take vacation so she can go on her honeymoon while kind of be out for the week. And so we go to uh, her reception. She had it at Bella Blues, which she just had desserts. And so we're having fun, you know, partying, um, eating desserts, dancing, doing all the things you do at a reception. Um, and so then we, we help them clean up, and we get home at like 2 in the morning. 2 in the morning. And my dad's one of those people that it's always we got to leave at like 4 a.m. so that we can get there at like 12 or 1 and then we still have the day in front of us, and we didn't waste a day. So we're like, we're getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning. We're going to get in the car. we got to go take my sister down to Columbus Airport, drop her off so she can get on her plane with her husband to go on their cruise that they're going to fly out to, I think it was Florida, and get on the, the boat and go on their cruise. So that was the plan. Me, I had a buddy of mine that we were taking with us on vacation. We decided we're not sleeping because it's 2 a.m. Why sleep for two hours when we're going to just have to get up, get in the van, pack everything up, and then fall asleep again? So we said, we're just going to stay up. You know, we were sitting outside for a little while. It was like um, kind of like early fall in October when we went. And so we're like, okay, it's not going to be that bad outside. So we just kind of sitting out there. And it was a little chilly just so it could keep us awake because, you know, we were super tired. And so we're sitting there and we decide, we look down and we're like, okay, it's four o'clock. So as probably immature kids think, we're just going to get in the van because we'll wait because everybody's alarm is going to go off. Everybody will get in the van. We'll just, we'll just get everything ready. So we go and we sit in the van. It's now 4.20. Nobody yet. 4.30. Nobody yet. 4.40. Nobody yet. And we're sitting in there and like, we should probably do something. Like, we should probably go in and wake them up or they're going to get really mad because they said we were leaving at 4 and now it's 4.40 and we're almost an hour late. And we have to get my sister down there for her flight. So it's not just we can leave whenever. Like, she's got a flight to catch. And so we got to get her down there. So we decided, okay, we probably should go do something. And so I go to uh, unlock the van, and for some reason I couldn't get the door open. I don't know what the problem was. I don't know if there was like a child lock on. I don't know, but I couldn't get the van open. So now me and my buddy are trapped inside the van. My parents and everybody are still asleep inside, and we don't know what to do. And I, we have our phones, so I don't know why we didn't think, well, maybe we should try to call somebody. So we, you know, we're trying to figure out what to do. We, we keep trying to get the door open. We can't get it open. Finally, we... We see the lights turn on inside and everybody's just like frantically going and somebody comes out to like start 
you know, warming up the van, getting stuff in it, and they finally let us out. So we get out of the van. We go help get the rest of the stuff, pack everything up, fly out of there, and start our way down to Columbus. Well, now all these tensions are high because we're already late. We're trying to rush down there to get my sister to get on her plane. Everybody's tired. Everybody's hungry. And we don't know what to do. And so there's just all this hostility. And so we drop my sister off at the airport. And then we get back in the car. And my dad's trying to figure out between all of us where's somewhere we can stop and eat, um, stretch for a minute, you know, get ourselves together. Everybody's yelling at each other. Well, what, maybe we should go here. No, I don't want to go there. Maybe we should stop here. No, I don't want to stop there. So everybody's yelling at each other. And finally, we decide on McDonald's. We go in, we get our stuff and, and use the restroom and all that. And then we pack back up and we go. And I remember my buddy sitting in the back and in the middle of all this confusion, he just yells, there's so much hostility going on in this van. And then it was just like, we kind of like step back for a second. We're like, wow, like, yeah, it's four in the morning, but maybe we shouldn't be yelling at each other. And so we get back in and that was the joke the whole rest of the vacation that this just so hostile in the car on the way to McDonald's in Columbus uh, at five in the morning. Um, on the beginning of vacation, but I can remember that that just sitting in that van at times, it was just so tense. I mean, you know what it's like when when you're tired and people are asking you all these questions or figure this out, or maybe you're in an argument and you start yelling at each other and then it's just silence and then there's just so much tension between you two. And I think what happens when we talk about an area like homosexuality, that's kind of how it feels. There's this tension all of a sudden that... The culture over here is telling us one thing. The Bible is telling us another thing. And it's almost like they're playing tug of war when the rope starts to get tense. And they're each pulling their side. Okay, I know what God's word says, but the world won't listen to me. So they're pulling. And I know what the world says, but I, I, and there's this tension that we're stuck in the middle between what should we believe? You would think, okay, in a sense, like, it's God's word. So God's word is truth. This is what we should believe. But there's a lot of people standing in the middle going, okay, I believe in God and what his word says, but I also see where the world's coming from. And they're caught in this tension that they don't know what to do. I mean, it's all around us. We, we Shannon was showing me a few weeks ago, um, a friend of ours that went, not, I don't know if I'd say a friend, but somebody we knew who went to high school with us. Um, and they posted something that they were in a relationship, a girl with a girl. You look at uh, probably one of our top shows, Shit's Creek, and you see that the main character is gay in that show. And you go, okay, so we're seeing it in the culture. We're seeing it in our own lives. How do we, how do we process this as Christian? We're, we're in this tension of the world and the Bible, and we want to navigate it in a good way so that people don't get turned off by the church, but we also need to be true to what God says and so, so much is going on in our heads. And so as I begin to hopefully shed some light on this, I want you to understand my heart is to share the truth and share what God's word has to say. But I also want to portray love. And so there may be some things that at the same time um, can be kind of uncomfortable. You, I may not say things right. It's messy. I get it and I understand. And so hopefully you can see where my heart is trying to show you that these people, whether they are pursuing this lifestyle or not, still deserve the love of Jesus, still deserve to see Jesus, still deserve to be in a relationship with him. And so as we engage in this, hopefully you can continue to see that that's my heart to portray to you. And I guarantee probably most of you may know somebody that's struggling with this, or you yourself struggle with this. I want to be 
hopefully cautious. I want to be um, respectful, and I hopefully want to press in with you as we navigate this. So what I want to unpack in these next few moments is this idea, you are loved. You are loved. Because you can see what we try to do each week is we take a question and unpack it. So the question is, can you be gay and a Christian? So let's take this question, let's unpack it, and this is what I hope to portray, is that you are loved as we answer this question. So I'm going to hit a couple different passages, and I'm going to hopefully navigate this slow enough that you can understand. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10 says this, passage you may have read before, but it says, Surely you must know that people who practice evil cannot possess God's kingdom realm. Stop being deceived. People who continue to engage in sexual immorality, idolatry, Adultery, sexual perversion, homosexuality, fraud, greed, drunkenness, verbal abuse, or extortion, the, or extortion, these will not inherit God's kingdom realm. So before we start to attack uh, this verse a little bit, I want you to notice two words that this, these two verses say. Number one is this word practice, and number two down here, engage. Practice, engage. It's very important to understand these words because to give you a simple answer, if we're portraying this question, can you be gay and be a Christian, my simple answer is yes. But hold on because some people can say that and say, whoa, 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 Taylor, the Bible is very clear. Let me break it down for you because there's a distinction you have to make when we start to use this term homosexuality, gay, lesbian, is you've got to decipher, okay, what do you mean by that? Do you mean attraction, or the word I use is action? Do you mean attraction? Do you mean action? If we're going down the path of attraction, if I have an attraction to another guy, or a girl has an attraction to another girl, and they do not act on that attraction, it is just like a temptation. It's just I'm tempted in this way, but I am not going to be involved in that temptation. I'm not going to take action on that temptation, so it's not sin. We can't consider temptation a sin. Because if we consider temptation a sin, then what do we do do with this verse? He understands humanity, for as a man, our magnificent king high priest, was tempted in every way, just as we are in conquered sin, or other versions say, or without sin. God was tempted in every way as us. The reason he is without sin is because he didn't act on that temptation to, to commit sin. Jesus understands where we're going in life, the things we struggle with, because Jesus was tempted just as we are. But he did not sin because he didn't act on it. So when we use this term attraction, you can have an attraction, but you don't act on that attraction. That's not sin. It's when you go back to this verse and it says these action words when you practice, when you engage in homosexuality, when you start to move from attraction to action, that's where the Bible says it's out of bounds. That's where the Bible says it's sin. That's where the Bible says you've taken it too far. There's nothing we can do when it comes to temptation. We're going to face temptation all the time. We're all going to be tempted in different ways. If somebody that's married is going to see somebody walk across, say say you see somebody walking across, the girl walking across, you go, wow, she's beautiful. That's temptation. But you say, well, I really love my wife and I don't want to do anything to hurt her. And so you don't act on that temptation. Vice versa, same thing. That's a really hot guy, but I'm not going to act on that because I care about my marriage. I care about You can't handle the temptation in a sense of like controlling it when it happens. 
And so homosexuality, when we start to say, can you be gay and a Christian? Well, when you say yes in terms of attraction, I can have an attraction, but I don't act on that. I don't pursue that lifestyle. I just struggle with these feelings, but I I continue to go to Jesus with him. I continue to work through it. Then yes. But if you're saying, can I actively pursue this lifestyle, engaging in a relationship, pursuing that way, the Bible says, no, you can't do that. That's, that's not the design and the reason we can't pursue that. It's not because God doesn't want us to. It's because that wasn't our design. If he was okay with it and said, well, you know, if that's what you want to do, then do that. No, no, no. At the very beginning, he had man and woman, and I'm not going to go through this whole thing and You guys know the design, but that's what he designed. And so we were made for this, just like we talked in students last week. The reason he doesn't want us to have sex outside of marriage is not because we're just not supposed to do it. It's because our bodies weren't designed to do that. So we're not supposed to do it because we weren't designed for it. We're not supposed to pursue this because we weren't designed for it. And so when we start to look at engaging, practicing, Yes, the Bible says it's very clear. This is wrong. But it starts to get a little foggy, if you want to say, when you just talk about this idea of attraction, because we face a lot of temptation in in our lives, but we don't consider that sin. I look at, like, when I was a manager at Walmart, we used to have this big machine um, locked up in the front where all the money was kept. And so what the cashiers would do when they came in the morning is they would put their drawer in there and they would count out the amount. There was a certain amount that they started with each day. Dollar bills, coins, all that. So they'd put it in there. And they would know how much it had. So then when they brought it back at the end of the day, they could see how much money they made from where they started. So now there's this much in the drawer. And so they'd put it in there. And so then this, these people called Brinks would come in with their armored truck and they'd bring their bag and they'd come and get the money out of the machine and then they'd go take it to the bank after they hit a couple more businesses. But there were many times that I had to go up there and either unlock the thing for them. I had to deal with money um, as they were putting it in and out of the machine. It would get jammed, so I'd have to open it and take out this money. And so if I came before you, to hopefully put this into perspective a little bit, if I came before you and I said, hey, guys, I just want to apologize because I stole or I was tempted to take a million dollars. I didn't take it, but I've sinned, and I just want to make sure you know that. You'd probably sit there and go, well, Taylor, I appreciate you like being honest, but you didn't necessarily do anything wrong. You were tempted to take it, but you didn't really take it. So, I mean, it's nice that you wanted to apologize, but but you didn't really have to because you didn't do anything wrong. Then it would be different if I came up here and said, hey, I just want to apologize to you guys because I took a million dollars. And I, I just, I wanted it. I saw it. I was like, man, I could pay off my house. I could get a new car. I could do all these things, so I just thought I would just take it, and so I apologize. You would start to say, okay, now you've actually done something, and so I appreciate you apologizing, but it's still not right because you took something that wasn't yours, and and you were a thief. The Bible is very clear. You can't just take stuff you want um, because you feel like it. And that's kind of this idea when we're looking at it, as you stand here and you say, okay, I have an attraction to the same sex, but I'm not acting on it. You haven't really done anything wrong. That, that's just the pull. And I'm not going to get into, well, you're wired like that, born like that. We're not going to talk about that. But if we're just talking about, okay, I have that attraction, but I don't act on it, uh, I, I think you're fine. But when you start to say, no, I am attracted 
to the same sex, and now I'm going to act on it. I'm going to pursue a relationship and engage in a relationship, pursue marriage, all those different things. The Bible says, no, 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 that's just like taking the million dollars instead of just thinking about it. Now, know at the same time that the more you continue to dwell on those thoughts, the more you continue to engage with those thoughts, it's going to lead to this side. So just because I say, well, I was just thinking about it, it's not wrong. Okay, you know, you got to work through that and keep working into those thoughts. If you just let those thoughts permeate, it's going to lead down this road. So as you see, there is a difference if you're using that term to mean attraction and action. If you put it in there and say, can you be gay, actively in the action, no, you can't be a Christian. But if you're saying, can you be gay and have the temptation, the attraction, but I don't act on it, sure, sure. Because Jesus says here in Romans chapter 1, one you've probably seen, this is why God lifted off his restraining hand and let them have full expression of their sinful, shameful desires. They were given over to moral depravity, dishonoring their bodies by sexual perversion among themselves. All because they traded the truth of God for a lie, they worshipped and served the things God made rather than the God who made all things. Glory and praises to him forever and ever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to their own disgraceful and vile passions, inflamed with lust for one another. Men and women ignored the natural order and exchanged normal sexual relations for homosexuality. Women engaged, there's that word again, engaged in lesbian conduct, and then committed another action word, shameful acts, with men receiving in themselves the due penalty for their deviation. So the Bible is very clear that this lifestyle is wrong. I'm not trying to make a twist and magically say, well, it's okay. No, the Bible says pursuing an active lifestyle is wrong. But again, in this verse, just like 1 Corinthians, there's action words. Committed, engaged, pursuing actively. But then you have the other side with just the attraction. So what do we do with that? If that's what, if that's what we're dealing with, okay, if, if, if we're not pursuing the active lifestyle, but somebody has an attraction, but they're not acting on that, that's not necessarily wrong. These people are no different than everybody else. These people are no different than everybody else. I think sometimes in the church, we, we kind of get this idea of homosexuality, and we have this judgment or this umbrella over it, and then we just don't either like to talk about it, deal with it, or anything. But, but we're still called as believers to do something about this. We're still called as people to still love on these people, still lead them to Jesus, and do all these different things. We're not to shy away from it, because how are people going to see Jesus if we just continue to judge them, condemn them, and lead them away from Jesus? I, I think Jesus does really well to show us what our response should be. And you see, um, Jesus went to Matthew's house and made himself at home. Many other tax collectors and outcasts of society were invited to eat with Jesus and his disciples. He goes over to Matthew's house. Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew probably stole money from people because tax collectors at this time, the Romans would say, hey, here's the tax that you need to collect. They could go in and say a higher tax so they could make money themselves and then give the money that the government needed back to them. So a lot of these tax collectors say, your tax is $5. They'd say, you know, actually they need $15 from you and they would make $10 themselves. So here's a thief that Jesus goes and spends time with. 
He was with other tax collectors, outcasts of society, were invited to eat with him. One of the most intimate things you can do with somebody is have a meal together, be in their home, have conversation, and Jesus is with these people. Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house at that time. A lot of people have said is one of the biggest thugs of that time. He was like kind of the overseer of tax collectors with the Roman government. And he has the ability to do whatever he wants. And he has all this money. And Jesus goes to his house, shows him love. And something in the conversation, the way he acted, changed that Zacchaeus. And he wanted to give that money back. Paul's on his way to go kill more Christians. And God meets him. You see, what, what I think we try to do is we see these people as projects to fix, and that's not our job. Our job is to see these people as humans, as normal people that, that have a sin, that they struggle with, a problem. And our goal is to continue to love them just like Jesus loved all these people. And Jesus wasn't concerned with what they were doing. He was concerned about them not knowing the Father. I think we need to shift our mindset a little bit as we start to engage with homosexuals and that lifestyle, that it's not about us trying to fix what they're doing, but about getting them to Jesus. How can I get them to see the love of Jesus? How can I get them to see that, that I care for more of them to see Jesus than to see that they're in sin? Because the reality is, a lot of these people will immediately probably get turned off, shut down, as soon as you mention you're a Christian. You go to church, and this is the lifestyle they're living because they know what the Bible says. They know what Christians say. They know what it's like to be judged by us. And it should be our job to be like Jesus and say, wow, like I understand what you're going through, but I still love you. I still want to be a part of your life. I still want to engage in your everyday activities and be a friend to you. You see, the problem, too, that, that ha has been part of my mindset at times is that this is all they know. If they're not Christians, they don't know any better. I think we think that just because they, they don't know Jesus, they should still know what's right and wrong. We're wired to be sinful people when we don't know Jesus because of the fall. So if these people are engaging in homosexuality and they don't have a relationship with Jesus, this is to them is normal. They, they only know sin. Now you take a different approach if it's somebody that claims to be a believer and claims to know what Jesus did on the cross for them. Then you've got to help them see that if you truly believe what God says, then you can't get past some of these passages where God says this is wrong. But when you're talking to people, you have to also understand that, that if they're not believers in Jesus, this is all they know. And we can't, at the end of the day, and this will free you probably more than anything. That doesn't mean the pain is still there. The weight is still there. You can't change anybody. You can't. I can stand up here, whoever I talk to, and I can't change a single person because that's not my job. God's job is to change people's hearts. Our goal is to get them to Jesus. And so the moment you can lead them to Jesus, Jesus will begin to come in with the Holy Spirit and convict that person that, hey, maybe this part of your lifestyle is not in agreement with what I have to say. And so this Holy Spirit begins to convict. The Holy Spirit begins to tear apart that lifestyle. And I can't promise that he's going to magically just take it away and I'm no longer in that attraction. Some of the biggest, some of these big names um, like Christopher Yuan is somebody that comes and speaks at Momentum a lot of times, our student conference, and still considers himself to be gay. 
But he doesn't pursue that lifestyle. He doesn't engage with that lifestyle. He says, sure, I may still have that attraction, but God is more important in my life, and I want to pursue what God has for me. And he says, pursuing this relationship is wrong. So I will choose to not be with anybody and pursue Jesus with my whole heart. People in this situation, they may never get rid of their attraction. I can't make a promise that as soon as they come to know Jesus, it's just magically gone. I can't promise that. But what I can promise is that you leading them to Jesus and them truly desiring to be in a relationship with Jesus, this will begin to break down in their lives. It's going to be hard, just like any addiction we have. If you have an addiction in your life, you're like, well, I don't really want to get rid of it. It's fun. It's hard to get through into the cracks and crevices of your life and begin to attack addictions, problems, struggles in your life when you enter into a relationship with Jesus. But Jesus' desire is for you to have life and life to the fullest, at least, as we have seen. And so if you want to pursue a life, Jesus is saying, this isn't wrong because I just don't want you to do it. It's because I want you to have life to the fullest, and this wasn't your design. So the moments we can begin to understand the difference between attraction and action, the moments we can begin to see that these people still need love, these people still need to know Jesus, these people still need to be treated as normal people, and that it's not our job to change them. Jesus will change their hearts if they truly desire to be in a relationship with him and surrender their life and desires to him. It's going to totally free you up to begin to say, okay, I can understand how to walk through this a little bit. I can begin to engage in this a little bit. And my goal is just to reflect them back to Jesus. You are still loved if you're in this position or people are in this position you know. The Bible says what it says, and I don't want to dance around that. An active homosexual lifestyle is wrong. But if somebody's wrestling through these attractions... We need to also help them to understand that just because they're struggling with this and they're not actively pursuing it doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong, but, but you probably need to start working through it because if you dwell on it too long, you'll start to go towards an active lifestyle. And so you have to help them sort through some of these different things. It makes me think about my grandpa, some of you may or may not know, um, has progressive dementia. And so he got it diagnosed. Now it's probably been four or five years, maybe even longer than that. He got diagnosed with this. And so he um, pursued Jesus, I feel like, for most of my life. Um, he was in ministry for 35 years up in Tiffin, Ohio. He pastored a church there. He also pastored a church that's right across from the high school. It used to be King Road Alliance. He pastored a couple different spots and, and just helped people lead towards Jesus, live a lifestyle that Jesus called them to. And, and we've always been so thankful because he was the one that we would say in our family chain was the first one to begin to grasp Jesus and be in a relationship with him as nobody previous had done that. And so from that moment on, everybody to my knowledge in our family now um, knows Jesus, is in a relationship with Jesus. And so he did so much in our family and in his own life to push people towards Jesus. Two years after he gets out of ministry, this is what he's diagnosed with. I mean, he had struggles just like everybody else. There wasn't any huge things he did wrong. Sometimes people say, well, you know, he probably did some bad things in ministry. So now he's getting what? He, he serves Jesus for, for all this time in his life, and this is where he gets. Now my grandma has to take care of him, take him to the bathroom, feed him. When I go and talk to him, he says maybe a few words. He still kind of remembers who I am, 
um, but doesn't totally know what's going on. He basically sits in the chair um, every day of his life from now till he dies. This is where he goes. What if my grandma one day came to him and said, well, he's not the guy I used to know, and so I just I don't want to be with him anymore. Just because he's different. Nothing because she doesn't love him. Nothing because of how he is now, just solely because he's been diagnosed with this, and this is not the same person. He's different than me and different from the guy that I knew. You'd probably, it would probably break your heart. It would probably be like, wow, like all because of this, you're going to leave him? And I think a lot of times we're in that situation where, where somebody in this lifestyle is different from us, and we just want to say, well, I don't want anything to do with them. I don't want to even approach it. I don't want to even... And so I'm just going to stay over here, tell them that they're living a bad lifestyle because the Bible says that's wrong, and never engage with them, never love on them, never encourage them towards a relationship with Jesus, which is what we're called to do. This becomes your decision. Will you help continue to change, I believe, the culture or the view of the church and the culture by showing people that just because they're in this lifestyle doesn't mean we as the church hate them? It's probably very rare you'll see somebody in this lifestyle walk into a church building because they know what our view is and they don't want to be judged. They don't want to be outed as this is, well, did you know that he's with a guy and so you know, we should keep an eye on him. I mean, what's the difference if you're sleeping around? They're all sin, and so our job is to love on people because God covered that sin. We don't need to push them aside, but rather should be one of the most welcoming places for these people to feel like I can be myself and they still accept me for who I am. Your, your job is not to change them, but to lead them to Jesus. Jesus will begin to do the excavation in their hearts when they begin to enter into a relationship with him. You didn't have to clean your life up before you went to, to meet Jesus. Just like he didn't say, Paul, you need to go back. If you don't kill anybody for six months, then you can enter into a relationship with me. He's on his way to kill more people, and Jesus meets him there. People can be in the middle of this lifestyle, and Jesus can still meet them with us, being that encouragement, loving on them. So can you be gay and a Christian? Well, if you say yes in terms of attraction, yes, I think you can. I'm attracted, but I don't act on that. If you're saying, can I be gay and actively pursue a lifestyle? No. The Bible is very clear that that's out of bounds. These people are still people. They're still loved, and we need to continue to love on them.